But let's dive into our scripture this morning. And Miss Amy read it so great for us. Uh, I had Katie promise her when, when she asked, uh, asked to read scripture that it wasn't going to be a long one. Um, I'll tell you what, between the, the, like the second week we did this, we had Corinne Tarkington read about the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And then a couple weeks ago, Tim Carter, we had him read the entire book of Psalms. And ever since then, we've had a little We've had a little trouble, some people being a little shy to, uh, to volunteer for read for, for us, so I kept it short, just a few verses um, this morning, and I really appreciate her reading that, reading that for us uh, so well. But these five verses that, that Miss Amy read for us, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, are the last five verses of the book of Matthew. And if, if we've spent any time at all in church then these five verses are probably um, really, really familiar to us. In fact, we have a name for them, and if you have your Bibles open, you're going to know. Uh, what, what are these five verses known as? The Great, the great Commission. Some, some of y'all said it, you weren't totally sure, but they're known as the, the Great Commission. When Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the earth, all the nations, um, make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, um, and in the Holy Spirit. And in these five verses, there are about a million different directions that we could take and we could really study this morning. We could look at, at verse 19, if, if you've got, got your Bibles open, um, when, when Christ says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's kind of the, one of the only times in Scripture where we see uh, the Trinity laid out just there in black and white. And Jesus him, himself says it. And, and if we dove into the Trinity right there, we could today, we could write... We could start a, a four or five week sermon series on, on the Trinity, and we would all leave here more confused than, than when we started. Um, we could also talk about that great commission, go and make disciples of all the nations. Um, we, could, we could take that and, and, and say that that's the same mission that we receive today as, as Christians, as a community of believers, and that I, I'm sure we could spend four or five weeks in a sermon series on. And then there's this phrase in, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says that. And that jumps out because I have a lot of questions about what he means by that. What does it mean, all authority? Uh, what kind of power is he kind of claiming for himself? And we could, for hours, we could discuss and debate what, what that means, just those, those few words. But when I read this passage last week, more than all of those things, more than the Trinity, more than Jesus kind of claiming this authority um, for, for himself, um, more than the, the commission that he gives the disciples, more than all those things, the, the thing that stood out to me the most were three words at the end of verse 17, but some doubted. But some doubted. Even as the disciples looked upon Jesus... And if you, this is the very end of Matthew, so if you read, you know that this is after the crucifixion. It's after the, the resurrection. After all these things, the, the disciples looked upon Jesus, who has just been resurrected and risen from the dead, and they doubted. I mean, I want you to think about what that means uh, for just a second with me this morning. These, these were the 11 remaining disciples. You know, Judas is kind of out of the picture by this point. These are the 11. Uh, verse 16 makes no bones about it. it. It tells us exactly who's sitting there. These were the 11 disciples that Christ 
had hand-picked. He'd gone out and, and hand-picked these men to follow him. And they had walked with Jesus throughout, if not all of his ministry, then the vast majority of his ministry um, to the Israelites. They had watched him heal the sick. They'd watched him heal the blind and, and the diseased, those, those with leprosy. They had probably even watched him already raise Lazarus from, from the dead. They had seen him walk on water in front, in front of their very eyes. They had watched him bless just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish, and then with it feed thousands of people. And with their very own ears, if you go back to Matthew chapter 17... If you go there, you can see that Christ even told them exactly what was going to happen. He said that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be killed, but to have no fear because after three days he was going to rise again. He, he laid it all out for them, exactly what was going to happen. And after all of that, they still doubted. Now the, the passage, like a lot of the Bible... <laughs> isn't really clear about what they were doubting. Um, the word, the original language that's used that we translate to doubt it or, or to doubt is only used one other time in all of Scripture. And that's in Matthew 14, when, when Peter, when Jesus is walking on the water and, and Peter walks out to, to walk with him and he begins to get frightened and he sinks and Jesus says, why have you doubted? That's the only other time in the whole Bible that this original language, that this word doubt, that we translate to doubted, um, is used. So, so they could have doubted anything. They, they could have doubted any or everything about what was happening in, in this moment. I'm sure that, that some of them probably doubted that Jesus had forgiven them. I mean, if you go back and you read the last few days that the disciples have been through, the crucifixion of Jesus... It was not the best moment for the 11 disciples that were remaining. They had abandoned Jesus when he was taken in captivity. Some of them, we know Peter for sure, but maybe even all of them, um, had outright denied that they had even known him because they were scared that they were going to be killed as well. And so they, they may have been looking at Jesus filled with shame, filled with guilt, and they may have been afraid about what Jesus was about to say to them because they knew that they had failed him. I think it would also be entirely appropriate to say that some of the disciples probably doubted the identity of who was standing in front of them. They probably really didn't think that it was Jesus. I mean, it's not every day that you kind of you see someone walking around who just yesterday was, was in a grave with a, with a big stone rolled in front of it. Or, or maybe if they, if they didn't doubt that Jesus would forgive them or, or they didn't doubt um, that, that this was really Jesus, then maybe they doubted their worthiness to approach someone who is obviously a, live, a walking, living miracle. And as they bowed before him and as they, they worshipped him, because that's what comes, um, they worshipped, but some doubted, they could have doubted their own worthiness to bow before um, the Son of God. But whatever was going through their heads in this moment, the author of Matthew goes out of his way to point out to us that are reading it today that 
some of these disciples had real issues with what was going on here. They, they really, they weren't completely buying into it. Whether they thought it was a lie or some kind of deception, some of them doubt it. And if we're honest with ourselves and with each other and, and with God this morning, I think we can all say that there's been times in our own faith journeys where we've felt the same way, that we've doubted. At least, I mean, if it's not for you, it's, it's the case for me. I mean, yes, we've, we've seen what God can do in our lives throughout however long we've been alive, however long we've been a Christian. We've seen how God's Spirit can move among us, among His people. We have maybe even felt or encountered God on, on so many different levels. Maybe we've even, um, some of us have maybe even experienced what some or others would say could only be miracles. We have experienced God. We have walked with God. But after all of that, we can still doubt. And doubt is one of those words that we just don't say in church, you know? It's kind of a, it's kind of a curse word. It's kind of one of those words that you just don't, you don't say in, in church. You know, you hear, oh, they're, they're, they're doubting. Or you're, you might even say, you know, I'm just really, I'm really doubting. And anytime you hear that word, it kind of comes with a little bit of, of l- little fear. What could be wrong with them if, if they're doubting? What could be wrong with me? What could be wrong with me if, if I'm doubting? We look on, on doubt... As, as something that's, that's dangerous, as something that's supposed to be solved or something that's supposed to be figured out or something that we're supposed to be, uh, to be rid of. And when people start asking questions about God or about the Bible, questions that maybe we don't know the answers to, we start to get a little bit defensive, don't we? We start to put our guard up a little bit when, when people starting, start asking us questions we don't know the answers to. And I've even heard of people who have been told by, by other fellow Christians, no, listen, we just, that question you just asked, we just, we just don't ask that question. We just have faith, and we, we don't ask that question. Or maybe you've heard wrongly, maybe you've been told that doubting or uncertainty is a sin. But the true reality is that every single one of us have doubted. We've gone through phases of uncertainty, and we've gone through phases and steps in our faith of unbelief. We've come across times where we just sure weren't, we weren't sure that all of the Bible, all of, all of this, all of the church, or all of the creation story, or all of, all of Revelation, or, or even Jesus and God, we just weren't sure that it was all adding up. Maybe we, like the disciples, have doubted whether God could really forgive us. We've doubted if we were even worthy of that forgiveness. Or we've even doubted the identity or the existence of God. And when we feel these things, there is a real sense of guilt um, or a feeling of shame that comes when we begin to be uncertain of or to doubt something that we've been taught our entire lives that we're supposed to believe. It can break us. It can lead us down really, really dark, dark paths. When we have these feelings of doubt, we can feel like, like we're lying to everyone around us, like, like maybe that, that we're fake, like we're faking being a Christian. We can be scared to, to go to church 
and to even come and to worship the God uh, that, that we are, are, are trying to believe in. We can be scared in every conversation that we have with a fellow believer that somebody is going to, to find out about our disbelief and they're going to shun us or they're going to push us to the outside of this community that, that we love. So the question that I want us to ask ourselves today as we look at this great commission passage is what do we do with doubt when we have it? Or maybe more importantly, rather than what do we do with it, what does God do with our doubt? Because if we're honest with ourselves and we say that that we have all doubted, then we can recognize doubt as not a bad thing but a normal thing. And the fact that Matthew really goes out of his way to include those three words in this passage, but some doubt it, should speak wonders to us. Matthew wasn't trying to hide it. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat it. He wasn't trying to cover anything up. He was, he was writing down, he was being truthful about the attitudes that the disciples were taking into this moment with Jesus. He wanted us to know that after all that they had been through, some doubt it. And I think we can learn a lot about our own doubt and about what God does with that by looking at how Jesus responded to the doubts of his disciples. The first thing that stands out to me in this passage is that their doubt was not condemned. He in no way, in any way, in the following four verses, verses 17 through 20, rebukes his disciples. He doesn't rebuke them for their doubt. He doesn't rebuke them for their past actions. And really, when you look at this passage, that is really surprising. Because I don't think, I don't think a single one of us in here today, or even any of the disciples back thousands of years ago, nobody would have blamed Jesus if when he immediately saw Peter, he said, you, Peter, you denied me. In the face of opposition, you denied me not just once, Not just twice, but three separate times in the face of just a little opposition, you denied me, so leave me, for I never knew you. I don't think we'd blame Jesus if he'd said that to Peter. I don't think that that we would have blamed Christ if he would have read the room, if he would have seen that these 11 faithful few of his disciples um, were doubting, and if he looked at them and he said, Oh, you disciples of little faith, After all you've seen me do, you still don't believe I'm the Son of God. We wouldn't have blamed him if he said that. In fact, those same words are the ones that he used with Peter when Peter sank. He says, when he sank, when he tried to walk on the water, he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So it wouldn't shock us if Jesus said the same thing to the disciples now. You of little faith, why do you doubt? And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he rebuke not only their doubt, not only their their lack of faith, but the actions that they had taken while he was on his way uh, to the cross? Why wouldn't he say, you guys really let me down here um, for denying him, for running away and turning turning the other direction? And I, I don't know the answer to that. Like a lot of times with Scripture, we're kind of just left to give our best guess to what the motives behind it were. Um, these are only five verses that we're trying to read a lot into this morning. And so our, our, our best way to do is just kind of give our best guess at, at what Jesus could have been thinking or why he didn't rebuke them. But there's people that are a lot smarter than I am, 
and uh, have pointed out in, in commentaries and in other translations that this moment where Jesus is addressing his disciples was nothing like the moment when Peter got on the boat to walk on the water with Christ. Um, this was not the time, and Jesus understood this, this wasn't the time for Jesus to be teaching or guiding, but instead this was about to be a moment of sending. It was the last moment that Christ was going to have with, with his disciples. And he realized that in this moment of sending, these 11 didn't need rebuking. They didn't need to be, be condemned. What they needed before they were sent into all of the world, they needed restoration. They needed to be healed. Here they were standing before the Son of God, and it's hard to imagine that they weren't feeling immense shame and guilt for doubting and failing Him. And Christ recognized that in that moment, they just needed to be assured. They needed to be restored. And then He signals, he signals to them, through this lack of condemnation, through this lack of rebuke, the, the fact that He doesn't say, why are you doubting or, or stop doubting, the fact that He doesn't say these signals to them that they are going to be included in the coming mission of God. You see, because not only were they not condemned for their doubt, but doubt did not keep them from receiving their commission. This is something that, that if you're taking notes, um, I want you to be sure that you write down. Um, and then I want you to underline it, and I want you to underline it again. And if you aren't, if you aren't taking notes, grab, get your phone out, or there's offering envelopes. I said this Wednesday night, there's offering envelopes, and all the seat backs in front of you. You can grab one of those and jot this down. But, but write this down, exactly what I say. Matthew 28, 19, even though they doubted, they were still included in the mission of God. Even though they doubted, they were still included in the mission of God. So often, we can get in our heads that if we aren't sure of something, then God can't use us. Or, or we get scared. You know, we, we start to think, well, if I'm doubting, how, how can I continue to even go to church? How can I continue to talk about Jesus? How can, can I continue to go into Scripture when I'm unsure of so much of it? How can I continue to pretend um, when I'm not even sure, sure what I believe? But I, I firmly believe, I, I have to believe that the author of Matthew included these three words, but some doubted, because they wanted to show us that we don't have to have it all figured out for God to use us. You see, we don't have to be free of doubt. We don't have to be free of sin. We don't have to be free of failure. We don't have to be anything other than willing for God to use us to further His kingdom. The doubt of the disciples wasn't going to stand in the way of what Jesus had planned for them. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus kind of says... When he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, he is saying, I have the power to work through your doubt. And not to work in spite of your doubt, but, but I'm going to work through you because you doubt. 
Because of your uncertainty, he's saying to the disciples, because of your your worship, your faithfulness in the midst of your doubting, I'm going to use you in ways that you've never thought possible. In spite of that doubt, I'm going to use you to further my kingdom. Jesus is saying to them that that I'm going to use you in these ways. He's going to use us today in these ways that when we look back years from now and, and we look back even now on the lives of the disciples, we know that it was only because of Jesus and it was only because of the grace of God that they or we accomplish anything. Because our, our final point this morning, because in their doubt, Jesus was with them. We are sent on a mission that is only possible because Christ is with us. And my favorite part about this passage, it's not that Christ doesn't rebuke them, although that's a good point. Um, It isn't that he says he's going to use them in spite of their unbelief. Now, that's a good point too. But my favorite part of this passage and how Christ talks to these 11 disciples is that he doesn't end with a verse 21 that says, so go and doubt no more. He he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, go and and take take my name and and make disciples in all the nations, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and and Holy Spirit and doubt no more. He doesn't say that. In fact, he, he doesn't even really address their unbelief at all. He doesn't even mention it. He instead only assures them that in their mission that he's sending them on, He's going to be with them until the end of time. And I see that as Christ giving them permission to be unsure. He's saying, guys, you've got a long journey ahead of you, and this isn't going to be the last time that you're not going to be sure about something. This isn't going to be the last time that you're faced with doubt. This isn't going to be the last time that you question me or or my presence. But in your darkest day, in our darkest day, when we are sure about nothing else, we know that Christ is with us to the end of the age. For any of us that have found ourselves in a season of uncertainty or in a a season of unbelief, I think that we know that that is a really dark and a lonely place. It's a scary place. But just as Jesus said to the disciples, Christ reminds us that he's with us in this mission to the end of the age. Now, this sermon, even while I was writing, it feels like a weird sermon. (laughs) Um, I tossed around whether this was what I was going to do with this or not. Um, Because honestly... It felt like a waste of time a little bit to stand in front of people who have come to church and stand in front of you and and talk about doubt. Because after all, you have have come to church this morning and you've come to church in this time uh, that we're in where people don't really go to church unless they really want to or or they're really bought in to what's going on. So I'll I'll be honest, I, I had some questions that like, what if people think that the people in church shouldn't have any doubts? What if, what if nobody here, unlike me, what if nobody here has any doubts? And God, God just told me that that's not the case. That we're all faced with uncertainty and unbelief 
and with our own doubts. And my goal this morning in this message is for you to leave with an understanding that this church, that this community of people is a safe place for you to be in your uncertainty. This is a place where you can bring your tough questions. This is a place where you can bring the questions that others have told you not to ask. You can bring your unbelief. And you can leave that shame, and you can leave that guilt, you can leave it at the door. Because just as the disciples were, we recognize that God uses us in our uncertainty, and God uses us in our doubt and unbelief. I have a real burden for this. And I'm I'm sure you've seen this too, but I have too many friends and I have too many loved ones who when they began to doubt, they felt like the church wasn't the right place to ask questions. So they either took their questions somewhere else or allowed those questions without answers to have them turn their back completely. I, I, even, I carry my own burden from times when I see that I didn't allow someone the space to ask questions that they were asking of God. But I've also, I've seen the church at its best because I've doubted. And I can remember some times in my life when I had real questions about the identity and the existence of God. And I felt true shame. I felt like, like a fake. Like I was just going through the motions, like I was going to church and acting like everything was okay. When I was having a true crisis of faith. And there were times when, when I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone else about it. Because I was so ashamed of how I felt. But I was also so fortunate because I had a community of believers, I had friends, and I had, I had mentors that I could go to and I could say things like, I'm not even sure that I believe in God anymore. And instead of shunning me, or instead of turning me away for, for saying that, they welcomed that doubt. They welcomed my unbelief and they helped me find my way through it. And that support of the church community is the only reason that I even, I even stand here today still. It pushed me further to dig further into who God was, to find out what I truly did believe. And my doubt became wonder. My unbelief became belief. And through it all, I realized that Christ was there. And I still face uncertainty sometimes. I question whether whether I'm doing the right thing or if God is done using me And I always think back to, and some of y'all are going to roll your eyes because I I bring him up all the time. Um, But I always think back to John Wesley 
who experienced this same thing throughout his ministry. And he, John Wesley was like the pastor of all pastors. He's roaming the countryside, he's, he's getting on a ship to America, and he's being a missionary to America, and he comes back, back to England, and, and he's preaching like his life depends on it. All over the world. And through all of that, through years of, of passionate ministry, we know from his letters and from his personal journals that he was really struggling with what it meant to be a Christian and a child of God. Years into his ministry, he confided in, in a close friend and a mentor to him. These doubts and these, uh, this uncertainty. And they said to him, John, preach the faith that you wish to have. Not the faith you do have. And those words stick with me. I think about them all the time. Preach the faith you wish to have. Wesley took those words to heart. And often he, he would give the same advice to other pastors. He would say, preach faith till you have it. And then, because you have it, you will preach faith. You see, in his lack of faith, Christ was there working through him because of it. Another story that I think I've shared before is about the famous Mother Teresa who had a similar experience. And we all know the great works that Mother Teresa did all around the world and her ministry to the, to the poor and to the, to, the, to the broken and to the sick. And when she passed, they started going through her personal journals and, and, and some of these artifacts of, to find out really who she was. And they found that for over 20 years, two decades, she had a crisis of faith. Her, journeys, her journals told a story of what, what she called the dark, a dark night of the soul. They said that some 20 years before her ministry ended, she heard this definitive voice of God that called her into a lifelong a service of serving the poor and the people that needed Jesus. But then she writes that once she committed to that life, she never felt like she heard from God ever again. And she doubted. She doubted that she was doing the right thing. She doubted that she really was called by God. Her, her journal even tells us that she wondered at times, if God even existed. But through her doubt and through her uncertainty, Christ was there, using her, even in her unbelief. May the same be said about us when we doubt. May the same be said about us when we are uncertain that Christ is using us even in our unbelief. Now, if I were to say one last thing for us this morning, it would be this. Live out the faith that you wish you had. And when you have doubts, be assured that God can use you 
through them. Because Christ is with us until the end of the age, working through our unbelief and turning our doubt into wonder. May that be said of each and every one of us. Let's pray. God, I, I, I cannot help but feel this morning like somebody walked in here with a heavy burden. God, with this same feeling of, of shame or with, of guilt, God, because they may have questions. Questions of you, questions of, of the church, questions of the Bible. And God, my prayer is that you will take those feelings of shame, God, and you will wipe them away. Our prayer for this church is that we wouldn't push those questions away, but we would welcome them with open arms. That we would journey along with those who are uncertain. That we would journey along with those who are asking tough questions. God, may we be a welcoming presence. May we realize that, that we're all on our own journey. <laughs> that we're all being used by you, even though we may fall short. God, mostly our prayer is that you will use us. Lord, may we be willing. When we look at, at our community, when we look at Greenbrier, or when we look at Arkansas, we recognize that there's still a lot of work to do. God, may we feel your presence with us as you empower us to go and do your work for the kingdom. Lord, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. May that be our mission and what we focus on in all that we do. We thank you so much for who you are. God, who you have been for showing us your presence, for showing us your Holy Spirit. God, and we thank you for who you're going to be, for what you bring in the future. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed.